0: I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord.
1: God. You read that so cheerily. Well, it's
0: most a, of it is. It's, it's a, no, all of it is.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. All of it is. All of it is. Highlight. Happy New Year. (coughs) I think kids can be pretty funny, um, mainly, only, primarily when they're not trying to be funny. Um, and so, especially whenever they're my son's age, he's four, their vocabulary is not quite as broad and big and deep as adult human beings. And so, they're using their words to try to make sense of the world around them, but it doesn't always make sense. Their words don't always make sense. And so, it sounds like using adult language in a kid's body, in a kid's context where it doesn't line up, things like that. And so, what happened in this particular instance with my son is that we were attending a funeral. Um, About a month and a half ago, my grandmother passed away and she had lived a long life faithful to Jesus and she is with him now. She ended her life with a a big bout of... um, as felt falling victim to Alzheimer's. And so she had lost her mind and we had been praying for some time that the Lord would take her. So naturally, because the Lord answered our prayers and now she is healed and will be with him forever, we talk about this death as actually a good thing, a blessing. And we talk about death quite a bit in my home because we're followers of Jesus. So like every day we talk about the death of Jesus and how it takes away our sins. So death is a common thing. It's not something um, Dakota is kind of shy to talk about. So I'm trying to explain to him that my grandma passed away, and and first he kind of is is really nervous because he thinks it's my mom, and I said, it's not my mom, it's my grandmother, it's it's Poppy's mom has passed away, but she is a Christian, she is a believer. And so she gets to be with Jesus forever. I said, but I want you to know this because our family, you're gonna miss some school next week, Um, we're going to load up in the car, we're gonna drive to this small town and we're gonna have a funeral introduced a new word he did not know what a funeral was i was trying to explain it the best i could we're going to go to this place and we're going to celebrate her life and we're going to praise jesus for giving us her and for her being faithful to him and then we're going to praise jesus for giving us eternal life with him that's what we're going to do and he starts asking me questions immediately you know he asks again even though i already told him am i going to miss school do i get to miss school yes you will get to miss school so are our cousins going to be there? Yes, our cousins are going to be there. So, oh, so we're going on a vacation, he tells me. No, this is kind of not really a vacation. Yeah, we're all going to stay together. It's going to be good, but it's different. It's a funeral. So, is, so grandma's, she's she's dead, but she's like in heaven with Jesus forever. Yes, she will be with Jesus forever. Yes. So we're in the car. We go down to Unionville, Missouri, a billion miles away in this small little town in northern, northern Missouri, and we go to the visitation that evening. And time change has already happened. It is dark outside. And so we go to this small little church. And how it's set up, you need to understand this, because there's this little sanctuary. And my grandma is there. Her casket is there. Um, And then there's this, like, accordion wall in the back of the sanctuary, the butlers are laughing because they lived there. They know what I'm talking about. There's this accordion wall in the back, and you can kind of go around there, and then there's this little foyer area where you can have, like, church dinners. There's a little kitchen, kitchen-type kitchen thing up off the side there. And so we're going to be there for, like, two and a half hours because we're the family, right? And so anybody who wants to come to the visitation, we need to be present. So we get there. Immediately, Dakota wants to go see my grandmother, and so I take him up. He asks me some questions about her. We talk about how she will be with Jesus. And he's trying to make sense out of all this, right? But because it is two two hours long, the kids quickly go back to the foyer and just start chasing each other around and running around and playing tag. We get them pizza. We have all these pictures of my grandma and we're kind of going back there and going through these pictures and remembering all these great things. And unbeknownst to us, the lights back there were only half on in the foyer And so one of the members of the congregation walks in after we've been sitting in kind of half-lit, dim foyer for two hours. He walks in, and he just flips on the remainder of the lights. And so it's a big difference. A big light comes on. And Dakota, without missing a beat, stops what he's doing, playing tag, which takes a lot to get him to stop and he stops and he comes running over to me after he scans to find where I am and he comes over to me and says "Mom, we have to go see grandma right now. Jesus is here to take her away." <laughs> so I'm trying to explain to him her body is here but she is not. But all he could understand with his words and with his thoughts were I don't want to miss when Jesus comes. I want to see him take her away. I want to see him. He was not going to miss that. Not for tag, not for pizza, not for anything. He wanted to see Jesus come. Dallas Willard is a well-known theologian, or was a well, is still a well-known theologian, but he passed away in 2013. And one of his quotes, um, because I'm a quote kind of girl, that I love, he actually quotes his mother's last words on this earth. And it's kind of interesting because Dallas Willard's mother passed away when he was very young. He was actually just two years old when his mother passed. And it's kind of a funny thing because her last words in this world were actually instructions to Dallas Willard's father having to do with the children. That sounds about right, right? The last words this mother was going to to say were going to be instructions to dad about what to do with these children. And she looks at her husband and she says this Keep eternity before the children. It's her last line in this life. Keep eternity before the children. Why did she say that? What did she mean by that? In chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it's this entire chapter about these people that remained faithful to God till the very end. Sometimes we call it the faith hall of fame. Chapter 11, book of Hebrews. Abraham was faithful. Moses was faithful. David was faithful. And I don't even have time to tell you about all these other people who were faithful. And it's written to encourage the believers of that day and really to even encourage us now to remain faithful to God until the end. But in verse 6 of chapter 11, it says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, it's so interesting, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. According to this passage, in order to draw near to God, in order to remain faithful to him until the end, one must believe two things. You must believe that God exists, that he's in fact real and alive and reigning, and you must believe that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. There is this promise of a reward. Our ability to remain faithful to Jesus is tied to what we believe about both his trustworthiness and his future for us. Do we trust that he rewards those who remain faithful to him? Paul actually writes of eternity with Jesus a lot um, to several churches. Whether the Christians are immature, whether they are just young believers, whether they are struggling, whether they are tempted, rebelling, or whether they're remaining faithful and doing a great job, remembering Jesus' return and judgment and the reward to accompany him this seems to be a relative topic to all sorts of Christians for Paul. To the Galatians, who you remember, this church specifically struggled with division in the church. Okay? Here's what he writes to them in chapter six it says, Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, but especially in this divided church, right, for those in the household of faith. This is not talking about, like, man, I'm just going to sow this this seed right here. I'm going to put this this money here, and then I'm going to just get this car. That's not what it's talking about here. I mean, God surely can give us world blessings in this world. Yes, of course he can. But what this is talking about here is the proper time to reap. This is eternal talk. This is talk of of living forever with Jesus. Again, Paul writes to a whole other type of dysfunctional church, the church in Corinth. And and to the Corinthians, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, that's how he sees what's going on here, the persecution and the struggle to remain faithful, right? For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. This is the scale. If this is life, if this is the hardship, if this is the temptation, if this is the persecution, and this is our future with Jesus, this is the scale. That's what it looks like. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen is forever. To the Christians in Colosse, Paul writes this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, second coming talk, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying, hey, Christians in Colossae, you know how you should be wrapped up in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Guess what? He's also going to come back and you're going to appear with him in glory. So you need to live like all that. You need to live like all that is true. And again... The church in Thessalonica, this church actually has been very faithful to Jesus and they are really struggling with persecution. It's very heavy at this time and they've actually, a lot of members in their church have, have passed away. People have, have died and they've passed on and this young church is wondering, hey Paul, like what's going to happen to those people? Like do they just miss out when Jesus comes back? Or are they just like done for? What happens for those people who die faithful? To Jesus. And here's what Paul says in Thessalonians 4. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. That's another word for have passed on, okay? Those who are asleep, so that you do not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Amen? Amen. And then he actually goes on to say that not only will God bring with him those who have fallen asleep, but when he returns, they will be like the first people to go with him. They will be the first to rise. And then, if that's not even enough, not only does Paul talk about this, Jesus talks about his return. He talks about eternity with him. He says things to his followers like, hey, make sure you're ready at all times. Because no one knows the time that the Son of Man will return. So you need to make sure that you are ready. Watch Be ready for my return. He says to his followers things like, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare this place for you, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you with me to that place. Jesus says that. Jesus himself talks about his return. I mean, truly, as you begin to study and read, both the talk of Jesus' return and eternity with him were kind of everywhere throughout the New Testament, as I was reading it, it was almost always, I think this is interesting, it was almost always found accompanied with instructions for living now. Almost always. Like, hey, remember, you died with Christ, and Jesus defeated death, and he's living forever as king, and he will come back. So live like you're a part of all that. I think it's funny because, or strange or something, um, because last week Jim actually spoke about the first coming of Jesus, right? And now we're second coming. So first Advent, Jesus came. Second Advent, he's coming back. And so it was the incarnation. And do you remember what Jim said? He talked about living, how he'd always lived for Christmas, but he needed to live from Christmas, Okay? So he's saying, like, I because Jesus has already come and he has lived and proven that he has victory over death and um, that he can give us life in him, that we should live from that truth. And I agree with what he says, but when I read the New Testament, it's actually like our living now is actually sandwiched between both of these things. We sure we live from Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, but we also do live for In anticipation of, looking forward to his return and our reward, that's a real thing the New Testament talks about. So I guess one of my questions to you this morning would be, have you been waiting for his return? Have you gone through difficult things lately? Maybe not just in 2021, maybe years ago. I mean, have you gone through difficult things? When it comes to your faithfulness in Jesus, have you been tempted, here's my kind of big ones I think of, have you been tempted to give up and walk away or to give in, to compromise, to become like the world? I know that's kind of a broad question. Have you gone through difficult things? But I mean it that way. Have you ever been tempted to just give up? I mean, have you faced hardship or disease or abuse? Maybe a broken home, maybe a wayward family member, maybe even death of someone you love dearly. Have you just been tempted to give up? I can't take it anymore. I'd rather just think God is this mean person out to get me. I just, I give up on it all. Life is too hard. Or have you ever been tempted to give in? I mean, maybe your difficulty to remain faithful to Jesus in this life is just that temptation is lingering around every bend for you. And it would just be easier to compromise. Go the way of the world. Do your own thing. Be your own boss. It seems that it was Paul's custom for the hardship and the persecution of the church, and even as encouragement to remain faithful in light of temptation, Paul's custom was to remind the people of their future to remind them of their future. Why? Why was that his custom? Because how you live now depends largely on what you believe about the future. Tim Keller, in one of his sermons, he's this well-known preacher, and he tells of this story that I think he got somewhere, and it's about these two guys. And these two guys are doing this very tedious work. They've been offered a job. And it's to sew the widget on the widget. That's what he says. And essentially, the first guy, they say, hey, we're, this is very tedious, tough work, and, um, but we are going to give you $20,000 this year if you just continually sew the widget on the widget. You just do it over and over and over again. And so you're gonna wake up really, really early, you're gonna come and you're just gonna sit here and you're gonna take the widget and you're just gonna sew it to that widget and take the next widget and sew it to that widget and do it over and over and over. And you're gonna work long hours and it's gonna make your your fingers probably hurt and it's just, the time will pass really, really slowly. But we're gonna give you $20,000. And the second guy, they say, hey, we're gonna give you $20 million this year If you come and work for us, and you just, all you got to do is sew this widget on the widget, and it's going to be really tedious work, and you're just going to pick up that widget, and you're going to sew it to that widget, and you're going to do it over and over again, and your fingers might hurt, and the hours are going to seem really long, but we'll give you $20 million this year, and guess what happens? You know what happens, right? The first guy, he starts doing his job, and he makes it a few days in, and he's like, yeah, I'm $20,000, this is great, woo, I'm going to do this for a whole year, and then after a while, he can't take it. It's too tough. The hours are too long. It's too tedious. And so he gives up. But the second guy, the second guy, he like whistles why he works. He doesn't find this task tedious at all. Why? Why? Because of the reward. Because of the payout. That's the difference. So what do you believe happens in the end? Is this life all you've got? I mean, when you pass away, you just lie in the ground and rot. Is that what happens to you? Or do you believe that everything you do now counts for forever? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that all who believe in him will never die? Maybe this morning, you need to be reminded not only that Jesus has come, but that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes back, he will do primarily three things. He will judge rebellion. He will dwell with his people, and he will make everything new. He will do those things. What we believe about our eternity greatly shapes how we live. Our hope and what Jesus has for us is that gives us this ability to absorb suffering now. When you see and know this living hope in Jesus Christ, this hardship is a passing thing. And, and the temptation to compromise, it doesn't seem so tempting anymore. But maybe I shouldn't assume that we all know this hope I'm talking about. So in our last few minutes together, I just wanna read the text that Jim read. and I wanna make a few comments to you. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Just read this with me if you have your Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John speaking. He received this vision. It says, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away i'm gonna pause real quick there's this promise right that he makes there that god will live with his people that should that should this he will be their god there will be his people that should send us somewhere those of us who know the story of god that should send us back to the covenant he makes with his people in israel right and the holy place so there was this tent, and God's people wanted to be with him, and he wanted to dwell with them. And so he said, hey, we're going to create this, this thing called the tabernacle. And it's this movable tent, and in it, there's going to be this place called the Holy of Holies, and I'm going to dwell there with you. And I will tell you, by my presence of a cloud, I will tell you when to move and when to stay put. I will be with you. So it's this idea, like, I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to stay with you. And actually, the, the Greek word, and I double, triple checked it with Jim two weeks ago. So I know this is true, even though I didn't take Greek. I do know, I did my work, and I know this is true. The Greek word, I will pronounce it wrong, is skeneo. So that's right. Okay, thanks. So it's skeneo. And that word actually is only used, um, that idea of dwelling with his people, living with his people, it's only used outside of Revelation in the New Testament in John 1, 14. John 1, 14, where it says that Jesus, the word, made his dwelling literally tabernacled among us. Isn't that interesting? Like his first coming and living with his people, he will come again and live like that. That's the most explicit form of tabernacling in Scripture. And I think this is interesting too because I don't know if you notice this, but it will continue to talk about this in, in the coming verses. But this previous promise was expected for end time Israel. But here in this text, it is promised to all who overcome. That's who this promise is for. It's not just to anybody. And it's not just to Israel, it's to all who overcome. Listen to how it continues. Then the one seated on the throne, who do you think that is? Okay, so let's think about these words since they are the words of God, okay? So the one seated on the throne says, look, I am making all things new, right, because the words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death the final death. This is not, I will be your God and you'll be my people, Israel. This is not, I will be your God and you'll be my people, everyone. This is, no, this is, I will be the overcomer's God. And the overcomer, the one who remains faithful to Jesus until the end, they will be his child. You must overcome, you must finish the race and remain faithful to Jesus. In fact, the apostates, people who, who have claimed Jesus but who no longer live for him by their, in word or deed by the way they live their life, they, are, they will end up just like those who never professed him to begin with. You have to stick with him till the end. That's part of this. You have to remain faithful until the end. John, the author of this book, he describes this beautiful new creation, not just to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to comfort us. About the eventual change in the nature of this world that we live in now. I mean Revelation twenty-one three through four. I don't know if you can go back to it, but those have got a po- like those are very possibly some of the best loved, most quoted, uplifting words in all of Scripture. <laughs> it begins with He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Have you ever witnessed someone doing that? I, I love to see it, like, if a kid gets hurt or um, even more if a kid gets embarrassed and they feel that shame and you just see a mom up at the stands like waiting, like, just ready to go and tell them that it's okay, we're gonna make it through this and she bends down she wipes her tears. Says, it's okay, we're gonna make this right. It is all right. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. What a compassionate God we serve. He's so compassionate in his care for us. I mean, everything that you weep for, whether publicly or alone, will be taken away when God's new creation arrives. That's amazing. And not only that, but but death's destruction, absolutely complete. There'll be no more death. Death. Can I get an amen on that one? There will be no more death, guys. No more death because sin has been dealt with completely in Christ's death and resurrection. And the victory over death as the last enemy will be accomplished forever when God's fulfillment comes. That as if that's not enough, all these other woes that are related to these ideas are listed. There will be no more grief, there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain. Why? Because the first things have passed away and are gone forever in the favor of God's new heaven and new earth. When I graduated college, my dad spoke um, at my baccalaureate. So it's a room full of people going into ministry primarily, and he comes up to speak. And the text, I don't know if he I'm just kind of assuming he chose this. Maybe they gave it to him. I don't know. He, I think he chose it. But he chooses the text of this pearl of great price. It's this parable that Jesus tells. And he says, basically, there's this treasure in this field. And, it, and there's this guy that stumbles upon it. And he finds it. And when he finds it, he buries it back in that field. And then he goes and he sells everything he has so he can buy the field with the treasure. And my dad's talking to these people going into ministry. And he says, hey, just so you know, I've been doing ministry for a little bit. And I've been following Jesus for much longer than that. And so I think this applies, I mean, I think it applies not just to people in ministry. I think it applies to just Christians in general. He says, you will ask yourself this question at some point while you're you're following Jesus. You will be tempted and you will ask yourself this question. Is it worth it? Man, things are really, really hard. Is it worth it? Man, I really, really, really want this other thing. Is it worth it? But you just don't understand what's happening to me and my family. Remain faithful to God. Is it worth it? The answer is overwhelmingly so. (laughs) That's why they speak about it so much. My grandpa, I had found written in some of his college notes, this line. He says, the Christian life is a bargain, no matter the cost. Guys, Jesus is coming back. And if we pass on before he comes, we will be with him forever. Forever. We are here for this short of amount of time, and then we are literally alive with Him forever and ever and ever, where everything is made new and right and perfect. That is a big deal. In the end, there will be all wedding, no funeral. It will be all pleasure, no pain. It will be all joy, no sorrow. All life, no death. No death. Death and darkness and deprivation and threat and conflict and rebellion against God, they're replaced by life and light and provision and security and community and intimacy with God. We do not grieve as a people who have no hope. And we do not live now as a people who have no hope because we have Christ as our reward. We have the Holy Spirit as a down payment, and we will one day have all of it in its final form. Amen? Amen. Perhaps this week, you need to spend some extra time reading and meditating on what the Word of God says about our future. Keep eternity before the children. Brothers and sisters, keep eternity before one another. When you have coffee and get lunch and go to life group and are talking to your spouse or your children, keep eternity before one another. Hold on till the end. Do not give up. It is worth it. God is faithful to do what he says. I think it's only appropriate we end our time together with how the entire scripture ends. (laughs) Says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. He who testifies about these things says, Yes. I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.